Welcome to When Pigs Fly. We're uncovering Cincinnati's rich business history from the 1800s to today. We talk to companies to learn the ups and downs of entrepreneurship, what it takes to grow a successful business, and to simply prose to future innovation. I'm one of your co-hosts, Patrick Bailey. And I'm the other co-host, Allie Martin. And today we are actually going to talk to Sarah Finney, uh, co-owner of 1215 Wine Bar and Coffee Lab in Over the Rhine, a.k.a. OTR. One of my favorite places to visit in the city. It's played such a pivotal role in Cincinnati's entrepreneurship ecosystem and the redevelopment and restoration of Over the Rhine. Every community needs a coffee shop. I'm just saying. And then when it transforms into a wine bar at night, that's a double win. <laughs> it truly is a productive spot because you can literally just stay there all day, start with coffee and then end with wine. And I think that's why you see so many business owners going there. You see um, so much of the business community just having meetings there. I, one of my favorite things to do is just belly up to the bar there and just listen to some of the conversations. And you hear people building, you know, startups. <laughs> you know, from nothing and then talking yeah. about getting, you know, millions of dollars in investment uh, and pitching to investors in the same room. And I think that has allowed for, you know, the revitalization of the area, especially an area that has such a rich history and a rich architectural history, as we talked about last week with Chris. And it first started out with Germans coming here in the 1800s, right? And they named it Over the Rhine because of the canal that was dividing the city, which is now Central Parkway. I wish we didn't get rid of the canal, but we did. And <laughs> it reminded them of the Rhine River in Germany. And so once the Germans would go, you know, kind of over a bridge, they're like over the Rhine. And, you know, at that time, there were hundreds of thousands of people living in the area. Yeah, compact. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about with Chris about like how dense that probably was and how it probably will never be like that again. But just thinking back to that, it's just a little little wild to think about. Yeah, yeah. It, well, and even Craig, back in our second episode about the brewing history, we had, what, over 20 like breweries alone in Over the Rhine, which is wild to think. So, of course, you're going to be attracting a lot of people and a lot of, you know, for many reasons. But what I think is going to be really interesting with talking to Sarah is the fact that they were one of the first businesses in the early 2000s to launch and in Over the Rhine and to get her perspective on what that developed development has been like as an entrepreneur and a small and a small business owner right because mm. all everybody serves a purpose and a coffee shop is in my opinion a crucial element to any community because of what you said that it's a place of gathering yeah and you know i think you need those places of gatherings in these melting pot districts like OTR, right? You know, you had the Germans, and then after that, you had uh, the people from Appalachia come and immigrate there. And then after the people from Appalachia, you had a strong African-American community. So all those cultures, mm -hmm. you know, influence the area. And community and community places like coffee shops play a pivotal role in building that culture and community aspect. Yeah, and hearing the, the community that she sees coming in and out of there every day. So with that said, let's bring her on. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for doing this. I truly do appreciate it. I love 1215. You got the entire crew there. And so um, hopefully we can get some like listeners to learn a little bit more about you guys and 
hopefully get some more people there during the day at least until you guys open up the doors for in person. I'm counting down the days. <laughs> you uh, and I both. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, Eric, I'm not sure if you know Eric Hornung. He is the co-host of the Upside podcast, which is the podcast company that we're a part of. He's like, is this my favorite bar in Cincinnati? I'm like, yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> there is so much to be said about that, though, of having coffee shops as one's favorite bar. I'm in that same boat. So I get it. Definitely. There's a little something for everybody. Yeah, I guess first and foremost, Sarah, like, can you just give us a little bit of background about yourself, how you ended up at 1215 and what drew you to, you know, coffee and wine? Especially because you also have a background in design. <laughs> yes. So my my journey to 1215 was kind of a strange one. So yeah, my background is in interior design. So I um, graduated from DAP in 2012 um, with a degree in interior design and was pretty headstrong, thought I knew exactly what I wanted to do, started working for a firm that I had always aspired to work for and thought, okay, this is it. I've just landed my dream job. This is great. And, you know, I plopped down behind a desk from nine to five and realized that that was not at all the life that I wanted to have for myself. So I had always worked in coffee through college. Um, I worked for a little coffee shop called Taza, which is no longer in existence, but Taza actually closed in 2012, right when I graduated. So I started looking for coffee shop jobs on the side, not for the money, but just for my sanity. I felt like I just needed to get my hands back in there and have that face-to-face -face interaction with people. I missed seeing new people every day, not the same people who are sitting next to me in my cubicle every day. Um, so yeah, I started working for a coffee shop called Tazamia, um, which used to be downtown on 6th Street, which is also kind of how I got my foot in the door at 1215. Um, at the time, one of the owners of Tazamia um, was also involved in 1215. There was an opening on the weekend, so I kind of just started moonlighting there. So I had my design job during the week and then was just making coffee on the weekends. And then at one point, an opportunity presented itself. Um, the owner, Joanna Argus Kirkendall of 1215, approached me and said, hey, one of my baristas, my full-time barista is leaving. Would you be interested? in working here full time. And I didn't even think twice about it. I said, absolutely. And quit my job at the architecture firm, started making coffee full time. And I've been there ever since. So you've been there since 2013, correct? Yes, correct. And your current role is what exactly? So I'm actually currently a co-owner of 1215. Wow. So this is my third year going into an ownership role. A couple years ago, um, again, just the, an opportunity kind of presented itself and Joanna presented this option for me to become a part of the ownership team. And again, it seemed like a no brainer. I'd been there for so many years and had helped oh, kind wow. of build the programs and the systems that we have in place now. So yeah, I just said absolutely. And Joanna and I work so well together. Um, so it's been a really beautiful relationship. And, you know, despite all of the craziness that's happened this year, I'm very, very sure that I made the right decision. So <laughs> people, don't go, people don't go into hospitality just because there is something there. And it's always the people that draws 
everyone back in. Now, I'm, I'm so fascinated by this, though, because you really have been a part of 1215 from the early, early get-go. And especially, I imagine, with the redevelopment of Over the Rhine. So how far in, when you started at 1215, how many years were they already open? I always forget exactly when I started, but somewhere between nine and 12 months, they had been open. So it was pretty fresh Um, Mm -hmm. at that point in time. I think the only real established businesses on the Strip were Bakersfield um, next door to us. Um, They opened just one week before 1215 opened. Um, And then Senate was across the street. Senate was kind of one of the first people to really establish that little block of Vine Street to what it is right now. Um, So yeah, we just kind of watched all of that blossom around us. And every year there are new things and, you know, it just keeps changing. But it's been really fun to watch. What is one thing that has surprised you about like what has changed from when you first started to today? Yeah, I think the most interesting thing to me is that You know, I think in the early years of kind of when people realized that Over the Rhine was booming and things were growing at an exponential rate. And I think everyone just kept saying like, oh, you know, it's going to it's going to reach its peak. It's going to reach its peak. But the thing that I find just so cool about Over the Rhine is that there is room for everybody, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's where I think it's made me realize how amazing our city is as a whole. I mean, Cincinnati as a whole, you kind of see this difference, um, especially being there during the week as opposed to on the weekends. I mean, it's a totally different (laughs) clientele um, during the week. During the week, it's really locals only. I mean, this is a place where people live, work and play. It is, you know, we know everyone's first names. We know their dog's names. You know, (laughs) it's really like a very tight knit neighborhood, which you would think being in such an urban core and being so close to the business district downtown that it would be a little bit more touristy, but it's honestly such a neighborhood. But then on the weekends is when we do see people from, you know, suburbs of Cincinnati kind of coming in to enjoy all of the new and exciting things that are happening down there. And that's where I really see that there's room for everybody. Um, You know, there is enough people that want to experience all of the cool things in OTR. And so you can come down every single weekend of every single week of the year and never hit the same place twice. You know, there's always something new to do. So would you say, and gosh, man, this is a tough question anyway, because we're still in the middle of a pandemic, but do you expect over the Rhine to still blossom when we come out of this like it was before? Or is this going to be, because I think Cincinnati is notorious for this, right? Where we'll have one area that's, you know, over the Rhine is the place to be. And then Mount Adams is the place to be. Cause I think there is always so much room for everyone. Do you feel like over the Rhine is here to stay? Yes, absolutely. You know, we have just such an amazing neighborhood. Um, And again, I mean, people live and work in over the Rhine. So yeah, even if you take the tourists 
out of the equation. You still have an amazing neighborhood that supports their small businesses. So I don't see that going away anytime soon. I think we're also just really lucky to be so close to the urban core of Cincinnati. Um, you know, we're really close to the business district. We're so close to Covington and Kentucky. So, you know, we've seen, especially over the last few years, an uptick every year in just the amount of out of town people who come mm. to Over the Rhine because it is really centrally located. So it's a great place where people can come, stay in an Airbnb, check out the local restaurants, and then go to the museums and, you know, whatnot. So I think Cincinnati is becoming more of a destination for out-of-towners too, which is really cool to see. Now, a question I have is what makes 1215 that like unique spot where everyone comes? Because I've just been going there for a long time now, probably since back 2014. And there's just always something different. Somebody's always working on a cool like startup idea. You have the corporate people coming in. You do have those local neighbors. Why do you think it's such an attraction for people? I mean, I think one of the cool things is that we are so established in Over the Rhine, which, you know, there aren't a lot of old businesses in Over the Rhine. Not that we're old by any means, but we have been there for quite a while. So we've been able to kind of just create this community. And I think we are really unique in the sense as well that we are open all day and night in a normal non-pandemic time. Mm -hmm. So we really do have, you know, a space. We've catered a space for people for any occasion. You know, it's a place where you can meet up with a business partner and discuss an idea. You can come in and catch up with a friend over a cup of coffee or you can celebrate with your family over a bottle of wine. You know, there are just so many reasons to get together. And so we have really just tried to create a space that allows people to do that, no matter what they need to accomplish in that kind of gathering space. The coffee shops, right? Space, the space is so, so important. So how would you describe the 1215 space and why is it so inviting, especially because you have that design background and did you have a hand in any of that? So I did not. The space was already built out when I got there. Um, I have picked many a bar stool as, <laughs> and chair as, you Swivel know, versus yes, <laughs> gone through furniture over the years, you know, as every restaurant does. But I do think that, you know, it is such a small space as well. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, whenever I'm training people, I always tell people we work close together. And that I mean, physically and emotionally, because it is such a small space, <laughs> which I think kind of creates that cozy sense of community. I mean, there's just nothing better than when every table is full and it's cold and snowing outside and everyone is just snuggled up with their warm beverages or glasses of wine, you know, and the chatter just fills the room and it just, it, it's, the chatter is almost like a warm blanket and it just like wraps everyone up. And I just think makes everyone feel really cozy and welcome. Would you say that the ambiance is more important than the coffee itself? No, I don't think you can have one without the other. I think they have to go hand in hand. I mean, if you don't have a good product, people probably won't come back. But also if people don't feel welcome, they also won't come back no matter how good your product is. So it's definitely a balance. I think from a 
bigger picture too, something that I always really focus on is that agriculturally, coffee and wine are very similar products. It's kind of cool to see from a sourcing standpoint, um, the similarities between the two. People don't maybe realize how similar they are from an agricultural standpoint, just because we don't really talk about them together that much. And obviously, there's a lot more research in wine agriculture, just because there's more money in it. Um, And it, you know, comes from oftentimes countries that have this rich history in making wine, and therefore we study it a lot. Um, But with coffee, I think there's less on paper in terms of um, the study of coffee and agriculture, but it is next to oil, the most imported good in the United States. So I think there's definitely something to be said about that. I think just from that kind of product standpoint and sourcing, like thoughtful sourcing that 1215 um, tries to achieve, they are very similar. America runs on coffee. <laughs> so you're you're studying agriculture right now at Cincinnati State. What have you learned, I guess, in your studies that now applies to, you know, 1215? A big thing. Thing for me and a big draw towards agriculture has always been um, regenerative farming, which is basically a practice where instead of just taking from the land where we cultivate and we grow something and then we take it, instead we want to be adding something back to the land. Um, Mm -hmm. And that is always something that's interested me in kind of my personal studies at 1215 in terms of coffee and wine. Again, kind of going back to that sourcing piece, we try to source our products really thoughtfully. So, you know, we use distributors that focus on small farmers who are often biodynamically farming. So creating these diverse atmospheres and thinking about things like soil quality and natural habitats and, you know, no chemical usage and all of those good things. So I think seeing some of those practices more locally and happening here in Cincinnati, um, where I might have studied them happening in Guatemala or in France, it's really cool to see more hands-on how that can be applied right here in the tri-state. So when it comes to sourcing for the wines versus the coffee, are your attentions pretty much 50-50 or is it a week-by-week basis? What does that look like in terms of energy level of how much time you spend towards coffee versus wine? Yeah, I would say it's about 50-50. I think the coffee side of things is a little bit more streamlined just because we have less distributors. So we work really closely with Deeper Roots. That's where most of our coffee comes from. And so communication there is really quick. We kind of know what's coming in. We get to try things. And they're you know, just really great with providing us with all the information that we need. Um, With wine, it gets a little bit more complicated just because we use a number of distributors. And, you know, as you know, the the more I learn about wine, the more I know nothing about wine. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And there are always new things coming in and, you know, new vintages and, you know, new this and that. And there's just a lot, I think, a lot more to choose from as well. So that can take a little bit more time and thought and energy, but certainly we treat them pretty equally in terms of like our emotional decisions. My next question is, I want to go into the business side of things in the sense of you moved from, you know, barista to co-owner. What was that transition like? What did you learn? And what made you say yes? (laughs) Yeah, so it was actually a lot smoother than in my head it would be. You know, I, I was definitely nervous going into it just because, you know, the level of responsibility completely changes. But I think 
I was set up really well to succeed, which I think is really important. Um, you know, Joanna has been such a wonderful partner since I started at 1215 and has really also been a mentor to me. I think the way that she allowed me to progress in my responsibilities at 1215 by, you know, just over time, taking on more and more. And by the time I got to the opportunity to become a co-owner, it was really a no-brainer because I already knew how to do the job. I've been doing the job pretty much already. And while there, of course, there's a lot more responsibilities mm. and, you know, different nitty gritty things that need to happen when you're an owner of a business, I really felt very confident going into it because I knew I knew the ins and outs, you know, I'm there every day. It was actually a very smooth transition. And if you didn't know, you wouldn't have noticed <laughs> that anything had changed really. <laughs> it means you're good at your job. <laughs> I think it's interesting too, because you do it every day. You know the ins and outs, you're good at it. But down to the skill set, if someone is in this industry of hospitality, whether it's in a restaurant or a coffee shop, what are those tangible skill sets that you might train someone or teach someone to do and not to do or be and not to be? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think it takes a lot of organization. You have to be mm -hmm. well organized because there are just so many things to balance all at once that if you're not organized, things can fall apart really quickly. Also, you have to be a people person. You know, we that's always say, if you important. don't like people, you're in the wrong industry. You know, that's why we're here. And <laughs> what I do think, you mean you want a tall coffee? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I think you have to be a people person on multiple levels. So not just in service, obviously, you have to be a people person with customers and be able to interact with all different kinds of people. Um, yeah. But you also have to be a people person in terms of management, because that is a de very different relationship. You know, the customer barista relationship is very different than a manager employee relationship um, and being able to balance, you know, different personality types and different organizational types. And, you know, yeah. everyone communicates differently. And so I think that is a skill that cannot be taught. You have to just learn that skill of being able to communicate with all different kinds of people and kind of meet them where they are and learn how to communicate in whatever way works best for the two of you. Well, and you know what's interesting too, because you were there like we, like you said, for so long, and then you transitioned into this managerial ownership role. Was there a moment in time or a moment at the coffee shop that you realized uh, a struggle bus of uh, I'm I'm in a management role. I can't do this anymore. I need to do this. And what was that moment? And what was kind of that thought process? And what was happening? I know that's kind of a loaded question, but yeah, I mean, I think yeah, in a management position, there's a lot more that has to happen outside of service. And so, you know, it's one thing to show up for your shift and be really good at making coffee really quickly and interacting with guests and being able to multitask on your shift. You know, it's a whole different thing to be able to then sit down and do all the paperwork that needs to get mm. done, you know, and yeah. Womp, womp, womp. yeah, go through all of your <laughs> invoices and, you know, do all of the, the back end things that need to happen. So that's where I think I kind of struggled finding that like work, work balance almost mm. <laughs> um, where I had to finally set some boundaries and say like, okay, I need a day one day where I only do paperwork, you know, and that's my day oh, to do yeah. this and that. And I think just setting up like a consistent schedule for myself where I wasn't feeling 
so overworked in service that I could focus on, you know, some of the back end things that needed to be done. And I'm still working on that. You know, I love, I'm, I I have a hard time saying no to work a lot of times. So it can be hard to set boundaries in that way. But yeah, I think finding that balance between service and administrative things can be a struggle for some people. I guess I'll ask the flip side of that question. What moments make you go, yeah, I did the right, like, I made the right decision. I love what I do. Yeah, I think, honestly, my proudest moments are seeing my staff thrive. You know, when I see on a busy night, like, the place is packed, things are bonkers, Mm -hmm. and my staff just handling it so well, (laughs) you know, and and Mm -hmm. thriving in whatever crazy environment is thrown their way, then I think, like, okay, yeah, like, I feel like I've done a good job to set them up for success and that they are succeeding. And that makes me feel like I'm succeeding. And when guests are happy and the staff is happy, then, you know, that's what it's all about, right? We're here just here to make people happy, but it has to be on both sides. Your staff has to be happy for sure. What does the future of 1215 look like? Yeah, that's a great question um, because things are certainly not normal right now. Um, However, we, you know, we have some projections and some thoughts laid out for the rest of the year. I don't want to like tell you too much because anything can change at any time, you know. We'll just Uh, ask it again later, don't worry. (laughs) with COVID. (laughs) Um, But I think the future of 1215 is honestly us getting back to the way things have always been at 1215. You know, even though we've obviously grown and changed over the years, it's kind of cool to see how much has stayed the same (laughs) through all nine years of service, you know, like little things change or menu items change, the bar stools change, you know, staff comes and goes, but really to the core, we're the same as we were on day one. And so we just want to continue doing what we were doing pre-COVID. You said there were some changes and some things stayed the same, like what specifically, I guess, would you say like what were the biggest changes for you that were like oh gosh this is this is gonna take time to get used to and then what were the other things like oh yay like some normalcy I think the biggest changes have really been in the coffee program too which I especially early on had my fingers in much more than the wine side of things you know our coffee program has just really blossomed over time and that has been really cool to see uh, working with deeper roots over the years has been such a wonderful experience and we've been able to i think we've we've experienced a lot of growing pains in the coffee side of things which is great um because when we first opened our doors we were only making single 12 ounce cups of coffee to order mm. like we didn't have any coffee ready to go ever it was just like oh you want a coffee Give me three minutes. I will oh, make you that coffee. A pour over. Everyone pour gets over. a pour Every over. Every single time. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, and which I think is great. I mean, that's the way we like to make coffee. And we still now only offer pour overs, but we have streamlined service a lot. So now we brew Chemexes of coffee and we put them in an air pot and it's ready to go. So it's still a pour over, still delicious. It's just hot and ready. You don't have to wait for three minutes while I brew it up. You know, we've gotten a new espresso machine that's much more efficient for us from day one um, or from different from day one. Uh, we used to have a single group head, Victoria Arduino, which is if you've ever seen old pictures of 1215, it's like this big streamlined kind of bullet shaped espresso machine with a little yep. bird on top. Oh, it was great. Cool. It looks beautiful. But 
we can only pull one shot of espresso at a time, which uh, when you become a busy coffee shop, that just isn't going to cut it. Um, so I think all of the changes have been great. And it's all of the changes that we've made have been in response to us being much busier, um, which mm. is great. That's those are the kind of changes that you want to have to deal with. Right. Would you say there's more room? I'm kind of backtracking a little bit. Would you say there's still room in Over the Rhine for uh, more coffee shops? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think every person in the world wants to drink coffee, right? And that's always, you know, we always say anyone who wants a cup of coffee is our clientele, right? That's who we yeah. want to be focusing on. Yeah, because every coffee shop is different. Every coffee shop has their niche. Every coffee shop has their own vibe and their own twist on things. So there's definitely more room, you know, just like there's more room for wine bars. You know, we have quite a few wine bars in Over the Rhine and they're all wonderful, but they're all yeah. different and they all have something unique to offer. So, you know, just like every restaurant does. So absolutely. Recently, the mayor and city council have allowed for an expansion of patios in OTR. Yes. And I think I saw yes. your, you guys are expanding your patio. Is that true? Talk about that. Yes, we are. <laughs> We're very excited about that. So, you know, as most people have probably seen driving through OTR, there have been these orange barriers all so um, in the street. Yeah, these beautiful orange plastic construction <laughs> barriers which everyone has kind of made these impromptu patios on. Um, you know, everyone had to go through an application process with the Ohio Liquor Control to make the patios legal to drink alcohol in. So, which was really, that project was really spearheaded by 3CDC to kind of help facilitate that um, and help businesses get their applications in and, you know, understand the process, which once those applications were approved, which pretty, I don't think anyone didn't get approved um, for those. I could be wrong, but it seemed like the state of Ohio, you, Ohio. was really trying to make, yeah. <laughs> yeah, was really trying to make it more accessible for businesses, which is great. And since it went so well, uh, they've decided to make it permanent. So yeah, they just started building out our little, they're calling them little parklets. You know, I think the snow has probably held up <laughs> some of those constructions, but by the spring, everyone's uh, little parklets should be completed. So they're not called, I thought they were supposed to be called streeteries. Are they, they changed Street, them to Yeah, parklet? streeteries is another word, a term, yeah, that's been thrown around. Okay. Um, so yeah. they settled on parklets. That's cute. That's the last thing I heard, yeah. It's honestly a huge game changer for us because just based on our, I mean, we're a small space to begin mm -hmm. with. You know, obviously, social distancing is hard in that small space. And to be able to have the patio set up in the spring was so nice. And now to have it forever, I mean, you know, we'll be able to increase our seating capacity by at least three tables um, once mm -hmm. we have that established, which, you know, for a small business and a small square foot business, especially, um, that's huge. So we're, we're really excited about that. And we can't wait for nice warm summers where everybody's outside drinking wine. I think this is a great kind of segue into closing thoughts too, because talking about redeveloping small portions of the city here and there and this extension of the parklets for 1215, you know, you, Sarah, with your experience and over the Rhine over the years and your experience in the industry, where and what do you want to see Cincinnati do better? I think making things a little bit more accessible could 
be a step in the right direction. You know, I think, you know, the streetcar. Can you clarify? Yeah, accessible. Yes, yes, okay. for sure. So the streetcar, you know, being one of those examples where the streetcar is great. Um, it's really, really wonderful for out-of-towners um, who maybe are staying downtown, yeah, and want to come up to Finley Market. But it really doesn't connect the rest of the city to over the Rhine. So it really only benefits a very small portion of people. And, you know, if you're trying to get to the new Kroger downtown and back to OTR, that's great. It's not actually that close. You have to walk still a couple blocks. Um, So I think accessibility is a big one. Just making it easier for people to get around, especially people who don't have cars. I think also, you know, there is still a huge lack of affordable housing in OTR, and that is a huge problem and something the city definitely needs to work harder to address. And I think also just creating a more habitable environment, even this is kind of a random thing, but you know, there are no water fountains on Vine Street. There's nowhere to Never fill up about a that, water bottle. Right. And you know, just huh. kind of basic things like that that could make Vine Street a lot more accessible and Cincinnati in general. I think we have been pretty focused on development and not necessarily focused on inclusivity. Um, yeah, in the finer that. details of things. Mm-hmm. But so, then your favorite part of, of Cincinnati is what? <laughs> My favorite part of Cincinnati is the fact that it is a big city, but it is just so small at the same time, you know? (laughs) I mean, it's like the classic Cincinnati word, you go to high school. Um, Everyone seems to somehow know everyone else, even though we're in a city that's a million people. It still feels very small and comfortable, you know, and I've lived in a lot of big cities before, and I've just never felt as comfortable as I do in Cincinnati. Um, It's just a really nice place to be, and people are generally very kind and um, very welcoming, so I love that. Let's kick her off. All right, let's go. We're done. (laughs) (laughs) I I second that, though. (laughs) Seriously, Sarah, thank you so much what 1215 has done for OTR as one of the anchor tenants is impressive. I love going there. I can't wait to go there again in person. Um, You guys were super welcoming to me personally. You guys gifted me a bottle of wine when I got my new job and that will stick with me for the rest of my life. So thank you so much for that again. And you guys truly are a, you know, key piece of the city and I cannot wait to see where you guys go. And knowing that you guys do pour overs all the time, whether it's intentional or not. (laughs) That just gets me really (laughs) high. We do. Yeah. I second everything Patrick said. And Sarah, we, we truly appreciate you taking the time today. Oh, well, thank you guys so much for inviting me. This was really fun. Sarah is amazing. I want to be your friend and I can't wait for them to open back up. When she said that, you know, everybody becomes family and friends, like they know everyone, so true. I worked every day out of there for a long time and became super close with them. And when I got my new job, they gifted me a bottle of wine and that meant the world. Like I wouldn't expect that from, you know, my barista or bartender, mm-hmm. but they did that. And it, I really did appreciate that. It, you know, it's the small things. I think that just kind of solidifies her statement and her thought of inclusivity because coffee shops tend Mm. to be very much a staple to a community. 
you are seeing all walks of life coming in and out of those doors and you become a part of the neighborhood and people do, you you do become basically a part of their family. So they get to know and see these people and talk to these people when they're having good days and when they're having bad days or when they're running late and what that might look like. Or if they get a new job, just like how you were, they almost have a little bit more of what's happening, a pulse on the city so to speak, which I think is very interesting and why her inclusivity talk and comment really stuck with me and just, oh, you know, evaluating some of those finer details that we might be missing here in this city. I totally agree. Just sitting in there, you know, you see politicians going in there talking about, you Mm -hmm. know, new proposals and new ideas. And then they were one of the staples for OTR. They basically helped make that a startup hub because people would do their work out of there. They would have their meetings out of there. There's probably been more deals done there than most places throughout the city. So like you said, they really do have that pulse on what's happening. Yeah. And coffee shops are meant for inspiration too. You, you, you go there to ideate, you go there to, yeah, maybe if you're looking to start a business, that's where all of those ideas start to launch and start to form. Yeah, so I I think it's interesting that she also said that there's room for a lot of other people in this city. And I think there is room for other coffee shops too, but also what are your differentiators? Their differentiator is that they got in first. Over the Rhine is, is is still developing and a lot of other neighborhoods are too. But if you are looking to open something similar to over or to a coffee shop or in hospitality. Obviously, we're in a tough time with COVID. What is your differentiator going to be? And also make sure you're organized. That was the other thing that I also took away. <laughs> Making sure you're organized. I don't think I could ever work in hospitality. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be a people person for sure. Well, on that note, I thoroughly enjoyed our talk with Sarah. And I cannot wait until they open again. She also talked about transportation. So we're also going to keep planting the seed like Johnny Appleseed until we have a whole forest of people who agree that our transportation system needs to improve. (laughs) Until pigs fly. (laughs) Until until pigs fly. And on that note, I think it's time to uh, prose to future innovation. And here's some necessary legal stuff. Allie Martin and Patrick Bailey developed the When Pigs Fly podcast in collaboration with the Up Company LLC. At the time of this recording, we do not own equity or any financial interest in the companies which appear on the show unless otherwise indicated. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinions of the EW Scripps company and its affiliates or Generator Management LLC and its affiliates or any entity which employs us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. We have not considered your specific financial situation nor provided any investment or legal advice on the show. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week. We also wanna give a shout out to Claire and Christian of Moonbow. They're the two artists of our intro song, which is so catchy and get stuck in our heads all the time. So bop over to Spotify or wherever you find your music and give them a listen. And Like the Night by Moonbow is courtesy of Silver Lake Sync.